So I just want to reiterate the pleasure uh, it is to open up God's word with all of you. Uh, Mr. Um, I'm sorry, Mrs. Sarita and, and myself um, have just been praying for you. Um, I'm glad that you guys have joined us this evening as uh, Mr. Edder was talking about going up through the holiness of God as seen in the Old Testament. And my prayer tonight is as you leave that you would be amazed by God's holiness um, from that has existed from eternity past. Um, so Genesis 1-1 is where we're going to be. I'm just going to read Genesis 1-1. You probably already have this memorized. We'll be bouncing throughout the Old Testament, um, but I'm just going to read Genesis 1-1, and then I'm going to pray for us. So it seems simple enough, but that's where we're going to be. So Genesis 1-1. This is what God's Word says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to share God's word with your people, with these teens, these parents. God, I pray that it would stir us, God, that it would stir our affections for you. And as we know that the holiness, your your holiness, is something that is hard to wrap our minds around. And quite frankly, even at the end of this message, it still will be, and that's okay. Because as was mentioned Last month, your holiness is otherness. It's, it's something that's a cut above. It, it is set apart from us. And even when we have that maybe privilege for those who have repented and believed on Christ, turned from their sins, and we see you one day, we might still not fully grasp the magnitude of your holiness. And that's okay. So God, I pray that this would be just a smidgen of, of encouragement to help us to see how we ought to be in awe of your holiness and your grace and your mercy, and that we would love you more at the end of it. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So, um, as a kid, I played baseball uh, for about 11 years, uh, kind of starting uh, about age seven and all throughout high school. And, you know, I wasn't the best at it. But I really enjoyed the game. I enjoyed watching the game. And one of the most exciting parts about playing any type of sport or really doing anything, any type of hobby, is when you get the opportunity to have someone watch you. Um, my dad was one of the most reliable fans that I had. He was my, he was a player at one point when he was in high school. He was a coach for me, so he didn't have a choice whether he showed up to games because he had to be there or else we would forfeit. Um, and he was a lover of baseball himself. He really do, did enjoy watching the game on TV and live. It didn't really matter. And I never really had to convince him to come. You know, I didn't have to try to pull his arm to come to a game. He was always just there. He just chose to come out of love, you know. And that's what really made it sweeter. There wasn't bribing. I didn't have to threaten him. I didn't say, you know, Dad, if you don't come, you know, I'm not going to clean the dishes or take out the trash because well, I didn't have a choice anyway. But um, he just came because he really loved me. And there's a satisfaction when someone chooses to do something for your benefit, not because you've done anything to deserve it. And in Genesis 1-1, God makes a choice to create for our benefit. And he, his choice demonstrates 
that he's both powerful, but also that he's personal. And our culture often wants us to believe that we're awesome. We think that God benefits from creation, such as us. But if we cover the scope of the Old Testament, we will see that's far from the truth. That we actually receive satisfaction from God. We benefit from God's personal choice, and not the other way around. And so this is, this is kind of what we're going to cover. There's one significant theme that we can kind of pull from this Old Testament, understanding God's holiness. It's this. If you're taking notes, feel free to jot this down. It's that the God of the Bible creates, dwells among, and makes a promise to his people for their benefit and his glory. I'll repeat that again. The God of the Bible creates, dwells among, and makes a promise to his people for their benefit and his glory. Now, Genesis 1-1 is one of the greatest miracles in history. If you haven't realized, this probably hasn't ever happened since. The fact that something was created from nothing. Last month, as Mr. Edder talked about, we, we define God's holiness as other, that it's not like us, something that is a cut above. And this is a great example of how God is other, something from nothing. Now, we, those who have grown up in the church, have probably heard this a bunch of times. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What I would challenge you is to avoid the temptation to become over-familiar with this. The fact that this has never happened and is still being debated among plenty of skeptics and scholars, those who feel like they have an understanding of what could have happened at the beginning of time and yet still do not know. Verses 2 through 25 recount this great power and might. We see that he creates the day and the night, land and seas, animals, etc., and everything is good. And then we get to verse 26. And this is where I'm going to read verses 26 to 31. Again, you might be familiar with this, but again, may you receive it anew today. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish and of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. And you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life. I have given, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is within our first point of God creating. We see that God creates other things and then he creates man. The holy God of the universe, the set apart God of the universe makes man in his image and he blesses it and he gives them all things. If you just, if you just take a small little snippet of those words in there, do you notice how he says everything and all that he's giving to his 
cre- his, his creation, man in his own image. He gives everything. And then he declares it in verse 31 that it's all good. Now, again, our temptation in our society and maybe even the temptation for ultimately man in this case was that humans are so special that we might think that God was lonely, that he needed us, that he was bored. Might have had a fear of missing out on something. So that's why he created man in his own image. But that's that's just not true. The truth is that the Father, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit were in perfect communion. He was never dependent on anything or anyone. He was self-sustaining. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism states, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our end. And we had nothing to a perfect and holy God, and yet he chooses to create humankind. And unfortunately, the presence of a perfect God and everything that God had created wasn't enough for Adam and Eve. As you well know, in chapter 3, it recounts man's tragic rebellion. So I'm, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3. Again, let this just have an opportunity to be new for you in light of what just took place. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. And the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the of fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was the delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they were they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves uh, loincloths. Now, As we know earlier in the book of Genesis, just between, God provides a commandment to mankind saying that he should not eat of this particular tree in the midst of the garden. They have everything. Okay? We just read that in in, in chapter 1. They have everything. They even have God himself. But what was the lie? The lie was that God really isn't good. That he's not that holy to be trusted. How do we know this? Well, as, as Jerry Bridges puts it in his book called The Pursuited Holiness, he says that the absolute holiness of God should be a great comfort and assurance to us. If God is perfectly holy, then we can be confident that his actions toward us are always perfect and just. Hence this example it should have been easily trusted. We are often tempted to question God's action and complain that he is unfair in his treatment of us. This is the devil's lie. The same thing he did to Eve. He essentially told her, God is being unfair to you. In other words, God is holding back Eve. Maybe you could be like this holy God. Maybe you could be a cut above. Maybe you can be other like this God. And our creator still hears those same lies today. Because God has provided a law through his word, something to be followed. And we feel this 
tension with our conscience that says we ought to reject these things that come towards our way, that come from our own flesh, from the world, from Satan, to reject thinking things that are not good and not holy, dirty thoughts, to to respond in a way that's hastily, to tell a person off and let them know how we ought to feel about them, to impress others. And we often think if it feels good to me, then it must be true, even though God's word says it's sin. So God must not want me to be happy, right? He must just, like, if it feels good to me, he must not want me to be happy. You know, we start pulling that equation within our minds. We start mulling that over a little bit. And our creator would remind you, the God of the Bible would remind you this evening that his holiness is the essence of good. It is the standard of good. Therefore, his commandments are good. And therefore, our benefit and for his glory. God creates everything. He creates man. He creates these laws that are set in place to be followed because he is the standard of perfection and goodness. And yet, not they're, they're, they're not followed. And this, this leads us to our second point, which is kind of intermingled with the sin of man, which is that God dwells with his people. So I'm just going to, I'm going to read, uh, verses 8 through 13, okay? And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? One of my favorite verses in all of scripture. Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I command you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave me to be with, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I just want you to ponder this for a second. Okay, just ponder this. Just think about this. Okay, Adam and Eve have just rebelled against the God of the universe, who created the universe, who created the very things that they are enjoying. This all-knowing all-powerful, all-present God is walking next to rebels. My question is, and I often think to myself, how are they not destroyed? Like, how are they like not just obliterated? God has every right to. Remember, we learned that, God, that adding Adam and Eve in this equation added nothing to him, so taking them away would take nothing from him. But the one word that I here repeatedly, just think repeatedly, is mercy. Not giving them what they do deserve. He even shows restraint in having a conversation with them. I mean, think about this for a second. Teens, I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with someone you've just disrespected. Intentionally or unintentionally. Okay, you've just had a conversation. You're having a conversation if you disrespected somebody unintentionally. Maybe you said an offensive comment. Or maybe you just outright were disrespectful. (laughs) And maybe you've even played the blame game. You said things like, I'm just emotional, just tired. You, well, you just pushed me the wrong way. You know, you just pushed my buttons. Christian or not, that person who you've offended is probably going to have an unpleasant expression on their face at the minimum, at the minimum, okay? And this is what our holy God is dealing with, except often when we offend a person, that person is imperfect like us. So they maybe can relate to what it feels like to then offend another person, and they kind of have perspective. God is perfect. There's no way that he can offend in a way that's sinful. 
at all. He doesn't even think things that are wrong. And at the same time, consequences have to be given. So he in, he has this conversation with Adam and Eve, and then now the consequences come. He's still showing restraint and mercy by not outright crushing them. At the same time, consequences must be given. So let's read ch- um, chapter 3, verses 14 through 24. Lord said, God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree. Now, our temptation might be to think that God is being harsh. As we read these curses being dished out, but we see God's justice giving us what we do deserve, giving them what we they do deserve, mixed with grace and mercy. I mean, you gotta you got to really kind of pick this out. So you see in, in verse 14, uh, we see that curses are dished upon the serpent. But then in verse 15, we read a promise that we'll touch on later, which says, I put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We'll, t- we'll touch that later, but that's, it's just amazing to think about. Verses 16 to 18, we read curses upon Eve and then Adam. But then in verse 21, we read a gracious gift of clothing for their nakedness. And then finally in verses 23 to 24, we see then Adam and Eve that are cast from God's presence, another example of justice. And God is certainly displeased with their sin, but he's also merciful and gracious, and his choosing to graciously dwell among his people is infused throughout all the Old Testament. Here are just a couple of different examples. Feel free to turn there, but I'll just read them quickly. Um, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, and also Exodus 19, we see Moses and a couple of mountains. And it says in Exodus 3, 4 through 5, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him, it's Moses, out of the bush that was burning. Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. This is actually the first use of the word holy to describe God and his presence in the Old Testament. And then later, 
Okay, when so he's commissioning Moses to free his people. He's choosing this representative, and then after they are now out, he provides these commandments on Mount Sinai. So the first one was Mount Horeb in the burning bush, and then this is Mount Sinai, about 16 chapters later, and then he's giving the Ten Commandments. And it says in verse 18 of chapter 19, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down to Mount Sinai, to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, and to look, and many of them perish. And also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. Now there's a few different things that we've observed. Again, a lot of time has passed since this Garden of Eden experience. But the one thing that has remained is man's sinful nature. It's still there. God's holiness is also still there. And yet he chooses to then dwell among his people in this instance of choosing this representative, Moses. But the way that God dwells with his people have to be under guidelines. It can't just be the way that you think he ought to be dwelling with you. He chooses this representative of Moses, and that representative must be kind of consecrated, set apart, made holy. He warns him to not come closer because, not because of anything um, that he hadn't told him in advance. It was it was the fact that he was so holy to come any closer would be dangerous. And the same thing in, in chapter 19 where he says, let them not break through to look to the Lord and many of them perish. And it says that let the priests come near to the Lord and they should consecrate themselves to be set apart. His presence is, is manifested or seen very distinctly, in this case, particularly by fire. And as one commentator states, fire, if you know anything about it, is often used in purifying things. It's, it's, it's a good thing, but if you get too close, you could die. Fire, fire in a fireplace is very good. Fire in a home spreading is very dangerous. And we continue to see this pattern throughout the Old Testament where God commands that the tent of meeting and the tabernacle and the temple be built. And we see all throughout the Old Testament, these are places where God's presence would dwell, but his people were required to follow laws that were given because while he is good, he's also just. And God can't overlook impurity. And that's why we have the book of Leviticus. Now, for any of you guys who often, when you hear the book of Leviticus, you cringe and you're like, oh yeah, it's with all like those rules. It's actually wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful when you think about this. Why? Because it's about ritual sacrifice and purity laws that were necessary for these interactions with the Lord. And Leviticus 16 is a particular significant point. So if you go ahead and you can turn there if you want to just skim it. Leviticus 16 is particularly significant because it deals with this thing called the Day of Atonement. And it was one day of the entire year when the high priest, again, the representative of God's people, went into the Holy of Holies, where, where he would be in the presence of God. Now, again, you gotta, you gotta think about this for a second. We read the scriptures and we think this is no big deal. Like, no big deal in God's presence. No, you gotta understand, if they did not follow these guidelines, they would be killed on the spot. No hesitation. And again, as we learned before, it, it didn't take anything away from God that this took place. 
And it wasn't that he had done anything wrong. His holiness is so good that any bit of impurity would be the absolute destruction of that particular person. So before that priest would enter, he would have to bathe himself. He would have to bathe his clothing. Then he would have to sacrifice a bull as a sin offering for him and his family. Okay, so clothing, himself, then his, then him for a sin offering, and then his family. And then he took the bull's blood and sprinkled it on the Ark of the Covenant, which is a structure that held the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses. Then there were two goats, which are very significant. One is a sacrifice for the rebellion of the people. Punishment was dealt out and absorbed by this goat. And the blood was sprinkled also on the Ark of the Covenant. So that one was killed. And then the other one was referred to as a scapegoat. And if you're familiar with that term, it has to do with kind of the one that takes the something that takes away. Um, the, the priest confessed the sins of the people on this goat, would put his hands on this head of this goat, and then let let this, the, the goat go. He would cast it out. And what it represented was that the sins were being carried away from the people. So the first one is in which the punishment is dealt out, and then the other one is which the sins are being carried away from the people. Now you might ask again, why did the people of Israel have to meet such detailed standards and expectations? It's because... God is holy and we're not. God is holy and we're not. To be in the presence of God demands holiness. Do not believe the lie from Genesis 3. That God is just being unfair. He's being unreasonable. Like I'm not that bad to be in the presence of God. That I could actually be comparable to God. Like the gap between me and God is probably comparable to something I could, you know, span with my hands. You know, maybe from this floor to the ceiling. Like that's how we might compare our goodness in comparison to God. But there's an infinite gap between our goodness and God's holiness. There is an infinite gap. It's arrogance to think that we have even a way to qualify that. To, to even to put a diagram of some sort to say that, yeah, like I'm here and he's about here. And, and we often do this with people, but God is... Far above. <laughs> I like this illustration. It's almost the equivalent to try to uh, take a spaceship and being determined to come even remotely close to the surface of, of the sun. I don't care how determined you are, you will be incinerated within seconds. It's just not going to happen. Good luck for those who desire to be maybe astronauts one day, but it's not going to happen. If you struggle... Anything like some people in my family with sunburn, it's serious. And we are way, way, way away from the sun. Now, just put this in perspective. The sun is a created thing that God, the creator, created. Think about that for a second. Holiness of God, even more powerful than the rays of sun and the surface of the sun, the core of the sun. What audacity that we have to think that we have to be in his presence just because we go to church, because we read our Bible, because we just do church and we do things like that. It's, there's no way. It's infinitely too high for us to attain. But then we have God's promise, which is the last point. So we see that God creates and God chooses to dwell with his people, a sinful people who continue to fall short, who can't actually meet these laws perfectly over and over and over again. And yet he doesn't reject them because of his promise. This is what we call a covenant. 
Now, you might be familiar with promises. Mom and Dad, I promise to do this. And maybe your promise is judged on how much of the promise you kept. Maybe a 90% of the promise. Like, I did this, but, and there's like a contingency. Yeah, I did this, but mm, you didn't really fulfill it. God's promises are 100% fulfilled. So let's, let's look back to Genesis 3, verse 15 and 21. These are, these are two things that point to a greater thing that was to come at the end. So Genesis 3, 15, I'll read that again. God is speaking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And then in verse 21, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and, and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Simply put, and this is just a spoiler alert, these are pointing to Jesus. Eve's offspring, whose heel would be bruised by his death on the cross, but would bruise or crush the head of the serpent, the offspring of the serpent, by conquering death. Garments of skin, which point to that sacrificial system of animal sacrifices that occurred all throughout the Old Testament and were to be kept for communion with God, provided by Moses, and so on. These garments of skin pointed to the true and better sacrifice, Jesus. I mean, it's phenomenal to think that since eternity, since eternity, since the beginning of time in Scripture, we have a clear example of his promise. It's, it's right here. We don't, we don't have to look, we can, we can look at everywhere else, but this is where we see a promise given, and it's phenomenal. <laughs> if you have, uh, again, if you have your Bibles, just turn to, turn to John. Um, we're, we're gonna kind of, again, connect this, because it's gonna be kind of a hinge to the New Testament. We're gonna talk about this next month, but John 1, Verse 14. So again, we're, we're passing a lot of scripture here. But this is all where it led up to. Just, just think about the hundreds of years of scripture that you're rolling through here. And his promise was not thwarted. Just think about that. You're scrolling through pages, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It's wonderful. So John... 114, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I love words, because they matter in, in, in the Bible. The words matter in the Bible. <coughs> this is not by accident. Jesus, who was the Word, the image of this invisible God, Holy Creator, God dwelt among His people. So if you if you look back here in verse fourteen, it says, "And dwelt among us." That word "dwelt" in the original is the same word that's used to say "tabernacled." The original word is "tabernacled." In other words, Jesus tabernacled among us. And if you remember. That was the place where the high priest would enter 
that once a year, the holies of holies, tabernacle existed but the most holy of holy places and would offer a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. So instead of us coming to God, God comes to us in tabernacles. Because God was on a rescue mission to save sinners like you and me, to save sinners like all throughout the pages of the Old Testament. Because the problem throughout all of Scripture that is us, humanity, it didn't stop. But God wasn't stopping either. Later in the chapter, in verse 29, I'll just point your attention to there. This is where Jesus appears on the scene. And John the Baptist has a few words to say about Jesus, which are also wonderful. It says, the next day he saw, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Creator God becomes man in flesh. He became the true and better Moses true and better high priest, the true and better sacrifice, the Lamb of God on that Day of Atonement. If you think about it for a second, just just think about this. Two uh, two goats, if you remember, from the Old Testament. The first was to, to absorb and be crushed by the wrath, so to speak, for our rebellion. That's, that's the first goat in Leviticus. Jesus did that. He, he was the propitiation, these all-absorbing sacrifice to be crushed by God's wrath for our rebellion. And then in addition to that, unlike a goat which just covered over, Jesus, the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, then atones for our sin by removing it from us. As far as the east is from the west, Psalms talks about washing over, I mean, just washing it away, white as snow. He didn't just cover our sin. Because you got to understand, in, in the Old Testament, they had to do this every single year, every single year. And Jesus died once and once for all. That was it. Hebrews um, sheds a lot of light on this. Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient. There's no need to do anything else. There's no need more to, 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 to take it out on anything else. No need for animal sacrifices. No need to go through these detailed list of purity laws and rituals. Why? Because our God's holiness, out of God's holiness, flow both justice and goodness, which are two sides of the same coin. And as a God who never changes, he holds to his covenant. So you gotta, you guys gotta think about this. I mean, I was thinking about this. Again, hundreds, thousands of years are passing seeing God bear with these people who broke laws, who, who, who worship idols made of wood and, and metal images. He's, he's watching this all throughout, all throughout time. And guess what? He knew it was gonna happen and yet he still holds to his promise. To send Jesus, who would then fulfill the very laws that over hundreds of years we could never keep, and even to this day, we'll never keep perfectly. Why? Because we're not holy, and God is holy. We cannot keep these laws perfect, because we are not the standard of perfection God is. We have sinned, and justice is served by God killing his son Jesus, not you or me. Then he offers forgiveness of sins because of the shed blood of the Lamb, which we just talked about in our, we sang about. And this is what makes God other. 
He and He alone can forgive you of your sins if you repent and you turn to Him. Nobody else can. Attendance of church doesn't do that. And talking to just just feeling bad and asking your parents, they can't do that for you. They don't have that type of power. Being associated with Christianity won't do it. (coughs) And another thing you... I would encourage you, especially teens, guys, and this is this is something I really struggled with, especially, that's why uh, I've really appreciated the encouragements from Mr. Edder of knowing your Old Testament, is, is, is don't believe the lie that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. There is no difference. He's the same just, gracious, and merciful God. Since the beginning of time, we observe this because the first promise that was given was right after he was sinned against. I mean, think about this for a second. Of all times that he could have executed justice, he gives a promise. And we see his justice and mercy and grace intertwined all throughout where he's given nations hundreds of years to repent, hundreds of years to turn away from their sin. I mean, just very appalling and evil things like sacrificing children. I mean, again, should have been instantaneous punishment and yet he chooses to to show grace and we often think oh well you know the old testament god he's just different and jesus comes on the scene and you know he's peaceful and it's just not true it's just not he makes a promise even though we've sinned many times and for those of you who have repented and turned from your sins nothing can separate from his love romans 8 it's a promise. You might think, teens, that there's something that I might have done. Mr. Sarita, if you only knew stuff that goes into my heart and my thought life, maybe I hadn't even told my parents about. If you only knew, then you would understand that God, it's, po- it's impossible for God to love me. And that's just not true either. Amen. Why? Because Jesus was, was sent to die for sinners. Yes. Psalm 136, we read this at our junior high social. His steadfast love endures forever. Guess what? Again, you don't have to be a scholar to know what forever means in the original. It's just forever. (laughs) And even those who who hadn't believed, again, he's given people time to repent. And God extends the same type of patience to unbelievers here now. If you're not a Christian, if you haven't repented and believed in Jesus today or haven't before, God offers patience. He's He's not just slow but he's wishing that none would perish. But guys, once judgment comes, there's no way to reverse it. The only way to stand in the presence of a holy God of, of this Bible is and escape an eternity in hell is through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. It's because he's the only one who fulfilled the laws on our behalf. He was the only one who was God incarnate and, and, and he offers this most gracious gift to you that has ever been provided. So the question I want I want you guys to just ponder is that God has made a way for you to dwell with him forever. He's made it. He's made it accessible. He doesn't have to he didn't have to do this and yet in his kindness, in his grace, he chooses to do it. He chose to do it. Yeah. My, and, and so the question I want you to ponder is have you either knowing that has taken place, become too over-familiar with that. Or for those who haven't turned to him, kind of been like, what's the big deal? It's no big deal. 
And one of the, one, one of the main ways we can dwell on these truths is opening up God's word. And so my, my encouragement before actually just in closing, as we, before we get into discussion is, um, I'm, I'm gonna have a small assignment for parents and teens, and it's to read the entire book of Hebrews. Which is about 13 chapters. I would have said read the entire Old Testament by next meeting, but that was probably not gonna work out. It's a pretty, it's pretty lengthy. Um, but the book of Hebrews just really sheds light on this. The main, one of the main things being that Jesus is the better high priest and sacrifice for sin. And so I hope that you see that. My encouragement really would, to, to really meditate on that. Um, and pray for the Holy Spirit to grow in appreciation for Christ in light of how sinful we really are. And that's, that's huge guys. Again, the, the, most times people say, again, if you only knew what I have said or done, I deal with, I'm dealing with these sins. And again, we're sinners saved by grace and grace alone, through faith alone. God's grace is stronger and more powerful than any sin that may beset you or you feel like you are falling to or succumbing to. God is more powerful than the world. He's more powerful than Satan. He's more powerful than you. Forgiveness is available yes. if you repent and turn to him. Yes. An encouragement is available for those who ask for the Holy Spirit to continue to remind them of that truth, that we do deserve hell, but in God's kindness, he's given us grace. Yep. So I'm, I'm going to pray for us, um, and then um, I'll give just some instructions and on discussion after this. Okay. God, thank you so much. You are holy, holy, holy. And God, we thank you so much for the fact that you would be willing to create, to then dwell among, and to promise, make a promise with your people. And you are just so good to us. You are so good to people. And God, I pray that this would spur us on to not only if we have repented and turned to you, that you would draw people to yourself, but also if we have repented and turned to you, that it would encourage us to then tell others about this. And it would humble us and sober us to know that we have no shot apart from the blood of Christ. We have no shot of being even close to you, if not for Christ. So thank you, God. Thank you for your gracious offer. And I pray that you bless this time as, as uh, teens now discuss with their parents. And just to be honest, you know, just to, to be honest about where they, they think uh, about God's holiness as you see, as you see it in the Old Testament, God. So thank you so much. Pray you bless our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, can we thank Mr. Sharia for that excellent message? Remember the spaceship illustration? That's what I want to kind of just remind us of. If we try to approach the surface of the sun on our own, I just remember Mr. Sreya saying, there's no way. There's no way. Um, and comparing that to us approaching the holiness of God, how can we do it? And I just thought to myself, if we approach by the blood of Christ, if we approach by the righteous garments of Christ, we can enter in and draw near, accepted, welcome. Like uh, Devin led us in in the beginning, we don't have to wonder if we're welcome. 
or welcome. You can draw near to the throne of grace tonight with confidence and enter into the Holy of Holies because you've got Christ. Guys, isn't that awesome? I'm so blown away by that. We can land on the surface of the sun and not be incinerated (laughs) because we're in the spaceship of Christ, if you will. And what his sacrifice has achieved for us. Aren't you thankful that we can come before his throne of grace with confidence tonight because of the blood of Christ and the righteous garments of Christ? You guys thankful for that? I know I am. And like Mr. Sarita said, if you don't know Jesus, the biggest thing we're burdened about in crossfires, we want you to be able to know Jesus Christ and for you to be able to draw near to God with confidence. And so if you haven't trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, won't you do that tonight and tell him, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe in the sacrifice of your son Jesus as my only hope to go before you in all of your holiness. It's my only hope of being saved. Trust in him if you haven't already. And if you have, I want you to be encouraged. You are welcome. You are accepted. Do you realize that? You're accepted, my brother. You're accepted, my sister. And you've got reason to just have hope in your heart tonight, just like I do. And um, I'm just so thankful for him. And uh, Josh, thank you. That really served us well. And we're going to have a time of discussion at this time. And uh, Josh is going to lead us into that. So I hope that encouraged your heart tonight. I know it did mine.